and welcome to Pints and Politics, the July 4th, 2019 edition. Joining me tonight in the studio is our guest panel uh, on all things political. First of all, Corthenau journalist and former mayor of uh, Peterborough, Sylvia Sutherland. Peterborough This Week journalist. Peterborough This Week journalist. Slap on wrist. Uh, Campaign manager, activist, and political watcher, Lauren Hunter. Newly elected Curve Lake councillor and former NDP candidate, Sean Conway. Yes, yes. <laughs> Playwright and math teacher Tim Etherington, uh, editor, writer, and editor, writer, and podcaster Donald Fraser. Welcome all, and thank you very much. Before we jump into the uh, the uh, mud pit that is our political menu this evening, Sean, could you tell us a bit about uh, the council? How long your term is? What are you responsible for? Well, so uh, I'm I'm really grateful that the people of Curve Lake have have given me a, a really wonderful mandate to sit on council with a wonderful group of people. We sit for three years. Oh. Um, it's an exciting time. We're learning a lot. There's a lot of new faces on council. A lot of qualified faces who I'm really excited to be uh, involved in making Curve Lake a great place. How many councillors? There are eight of us, right? And one chief. Wonderful. Thank you very much. All right. Now, as usual, tonight, at least, we'll be touching upon all three levels of government that have influence here in, in uh, uh, Peterborough. East City, or Ashburnham Ward, that lush, sleepy, tree-filled neighborhood on the east side of the Otonabee River, is experiencing unprecedented growth in residential, in residential development. New, skill, new schools going up, housing developments going in, apartment buildings, and so on. But have the city's planners made sufficient allowances for the resultant increase in population and vehicles? On the eastern edge of East City, for example, there are only three ways across the Trent Severn Canal, and two of them are single lane. Uh, the McFarland Bridge and the tunnel under Lock 21. Are the main roads, such as Hunter and Armour, sufficiently wide to accommodate the inevitable increase in traffic? And will this explosion in residential development do anything to alleviate Peterborough's housing crisis? Yes, Donald. <laughs> Mr. Fraser, sir. Um, you, ask, you ask very good questions, and uh, they are, in fact, questions that I asked both E-City councillors, um, Keith Riel and Gary Baldwin, as well as, as the mayor. Uh, I've, I was lucky enough to hear back from, uh, from Keith, who passed it on to, uh, to staff, and, uh, and Gary, uh, who has uh, offered to meet me for a hot beverage, although this time of year I mean, you could use a cold beverage. Uh, the questions are, are, are many, and um, you bring up the access points. Uh, not only are two of those one way, uh, but they are also all feeding into residential areas. Uh, particularly McFarlane and uh, Mariah are just dropping right into major residential areas. So they're not, um, they're not arteries, they're not major thoroughfares. Uh, and what you're doing is you're, you're taking probably an estimate of, of 3,000 people and attaching it to a footprint of a village that is, is roughly 4,000 people. So you're, you're seeing a, a huge jump in the population with 
no talk at all of, uh, of any type of transportation infrastructure, no talk at all of services. Uh, you mentioned the, the brand new East City School. Uh, it's already going to be at capacity, and this is before we talk about Ashboro Village, which is 700 houses. Uh, it's before we're talking about the TMV group of condos, which I believe is 300 units, starting what? at $400,000, I, I might add. Uh, and then the uh, the apartment complex, which we're looking at, I think, another 400. Uh, three buildings, 11 stories, six stories, four stories. So you're, you've got this this massive influx uh, of human beings and, and nothing nothing that's being done to to make it accessible to the rest of uh, to them or to uh, or to alleviate the fears of current residents. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess over there. And, and I've yet to talk to any e city residents, and I've talked to a lot of them uh, about uh, transportation issues who aren't majorly concerned. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've had the chance to sit down on focus groups uh, over the last year where we've been talking to e city residents about uh, environmental needs, environmental wants, and and universally they're already concerned about. Uh, transportation, particularly with vehicular traffic and pedestrian uh, traffic, there are already a lot of hot areas where uh, E-City has blown past its capability to, to deal with this. And okay. uh, the concern is the quality of life. The concern is transportation. The con- concern is services. And so far, we've, we've heard nada. Ah, Sylvia. I agree that the transportation system as we it's now established is not adequate, I don't think, for what's yeah. happening. Uh, growth in East City has come slowly, actually. Uh, the growth was to the West. And, you know, 70 years, 70 years ago, we did plan ahead for growth. Right. And that plan is still yet to be implemented, and whether it, right. it we really did. Right. But ideally, you do plan ahead. I can remember Hazel McCallion speaking up here oh, when I was still mayor the, the last term around, somewhere in 2000s. And uh, she admitted that Mississauga had not done this. Oh, and that, okay. indeed, that is something you should do. And uh, she said to me later, she, I was trying to give you a leg up on the parkway. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, and I don't know what the answer is at this point. Hmm. Uh, one thing that may one thing that may be beneficial though or may it may benefit is public transit that you as the city grows hopefully you'll reach a population base at some point that makes public transit truly viable right which it isn't it hasn't been in peterborough it's yes. always been heavily subsidized yes and so the growth in the, to the east may may assist that. But as we sit right now, I think there really is a potential, you know, problem ahead of us and not too far ahead of us. One one small thing on the planning, Sylvia. Um, you're you're absolutely correct. There there have been plans made, and in fact, if you look at the if you take a look at the master plan as it stands right now, they have areas that are uh, intensification nodes and yes, intensification corridors. None of this is on listed as either a transportation node or a transportation corridor, and I think that speaks volumes as to whether or not this was actually planned. Well, I don't think I don't think they did foresee the amount of growth at the time at the speed of which it's happened. Okay, well, thank you for that. This uh, will be a story, no doubt. We will come back to as growth is not going away. Now on to Queen's Park. 
are all the wheels falling off the Ford Nation bus? Or are we just seeing a typical uh, typical year one glitches? How should we interpret the recent cabinet shuffle? And what about the 144-day summer vacation? The polls are not looking good for the Conservatives. According to uh, the polling firm Ipsos, in a poll released May 24th, the Liberals will get 32% of the popular vote, the Conservatives will get 30 and the NDP 29. Main Street, another polling firm, released numbers on May 30th that showed the Liberals leading at 39%, the NDP second at 24 and Ford's Conservatives third at 22%. Ford has recently been booed uh, a few times, most notably by Raptors fans on national TV. Even Mick Jagger uh, made fun of him at last week's Stones concert. What's going on? Are his voting voters having second thoughts? Hi, Bill. <laughs> Hello, Sean. <laughs> I grew up in a household that was not allowed to listen to the Beatles. Oh. My father made sure... But you sure listened to the Rolling Stones? All we listened to growing oh. up was the Rolling Stones. So <laughs> That's great. If Mick Jagger says no good, I'm with Mick Jagger saying... <laughs> Absolutely no good. We have a government that's about to take an unprecedented 140-day vacation from the legislature. (laughs) Is it, though? Because they're still making announcements. Just because the legislature isn't sitting doesn't mean that there are changes and proposed changes coming to different programming that people and families depend on. With what we saw in the cabinet shuffle, we saw an attempt at the government to press restart, specifically with the firing of Dean French. Right. Dean French, the notorious chief of staff for the government, who, with good work from journalists, we saw as the puppet master behind the curtain. The most important thing that we always remember is that it's not changing the channel on the premier and his office that has made these changes. But it's also to the MPPs who signed up, and they might have supported uh, Christine Elliott, a very, very reasonable Tory, if there was ever such a thing, or even the more unreasonable Tanya Granik Allens and all those who were involved in 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 the process of a new leader for the Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario. Things are changing in a big way where we're seeing a lot of public upset and anything blue at this point. Now, we're seeing that from a majority of citizens in Ontario, whether that be the 60% that did not vote at any way conservative in last June's election. But we're also seeing, uh, we're seeing the government trying to get away from that. But I don't think that that's really having the effect that it was. You can change the cabinet, but at the end of the day, those same people are in charge of government, regardless of the chief of staff or not. Doug Ford is still the premier. Right. Lauren. I'm just going to quibble on one point uh, and be clear that I am no apologist for the Conservative Party, uh, provincially, federally, <laughs> or wherever you choose. We would never accuse for. you of that. Um, <laughs> but I will say that uh, I think it is a little unfair to call it a vacation. Uh, that, in fact, amongst constituency level staff, uh, the time that MPs or MPPs spend in their riding is often referred to as like it, it is a break when they go to Queens Park or they go to Ottawa. That right. the, there's so much work that happens at the constituency level, and that's because there's an expectation from the community to see their MP and MPP and other folks out and about. So I think there's a lot of good work that happens here. And as you point out, it's not to say that things aren't still actually going on in the government. Um, So I I think lots is happening. The legislature's not moving. That's what's not happening. Laws are not getting passed. Motions are not happening. You're not seeing that daily. And they're out of the news that way, right? But uh, they haven't been able to keep themselves out of the news um, altogether. And I think, Bill, one of your questions was, you know, was this just sort of first year um, glitches? And I mean, 
if you think back to the very extended honeymoon period that the Trudeau government uh, enjoyed, uh, in fact, if I can recall, pundit after pundit declaring week after week, well, that this was the end of the honeymoon. No, now this is the end yes. of the honeymoon. No, 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 we were wrong before. Three months down, this is the end. So I think this isn't just first-year glitches. I think there's been um, – it, it's not a bug. It's a feature of this government. <laughs> well, I think it's – you know, talking about a honeymoon period and, and whether this is a glitch in government, it, it, it doesn't matter much for the fact that we have a government that exists right now that is doing things regardless if they sit or not. They're making announcements. They're, they're, they're moving the agenda to where they need to be and what they want to do. I'm sorry if I wasn't clear in that, and, and I'm sorry to call it a vacation. You know, maybe I'm still a little glued to partisan messaging boxes, but I think it's it's important to remember that this government isn't stopping. They're out in the constituency, and they're doing the work that's going to get them reelected. Well, the question is, is is will we see Dave Smith answering uh, his, his emails and his phone calls? Uh, so if, if, we're, if we're not on a break, then he's got some work. I've to never sent him any. Oh, no. <laughs> Tim, it, it's less a vacation than it is a witness protection program. <laughs> you know, th- this is transparently an attempt to hide Doug Ford uh, in the lead up to the federal election. But I, I think saying, you know, these first year stumbles and glitches misses a larger point. Uh, you know, I, I've joked before that that uh, Doug Ford is just a bad Trump cover band, and, and and I think that analogy holds true. But this is the way politics is done now. You know, people choose their too many people choose their political leaders like they serve Pinterest or Tinder, and <laughs> so you only need to get a message, and the message that usually works is outrage, and and you do your Orwellian sort of hatred of someone like it was Kathleen Wynne and the Conservatives and the NDP are doing everything in the federal election to make it Justin Trudeau. Um, and then you just pick the person who shouts the loudest and points the finger the most deliberately. But what we see in Doug Ford is 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 a, a gross example of this where, you know, let's recall he had no platform and he has very limited skills as a politician. He's he's a terrible public speaker. He's not a particularly warm person. He He's, you know, so he does the Trump cover band thing badly. And then when he gets in trouble, he has no personal appeal to pull himself out of it. I mean, I I don't think this is a first-year stumble. I think it's going to be a really painful next three years for Doug Ford. I don't see how he brings up his personal popularity because he doesn't have the skills to do it. Sylvia. Yes, you asked. I think there's probably throughout the province a fair amount of voter regret right now. And But I, I, it's I'm not sure Doug Ford is that bad a politician. My comment, by the way, was tongue-in-cheek when I said it's a good thing they're on vacation, because I know a lot of damage can be done when they're not on vacation or on hiatus or when the house is not sitting. But Ford, um, I, I get, maybe it's my age, I get increasingly disturbed and discouraged about politics these days at almost every level. Not Curve Lake, but <laughs> beyond Curve Lake, almost every level. We live on a cloud. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you if you take the issues, for example, and we presumably will be discussing the issues that will be coming up in the federal and the forthcoming federal election. I'm not sure, really, 
so far as the majority of voters or Canadians, some most of whom won't vote, are concerned that the issues are all that important. More and more, it's become a personality contest. Yes. More and more, it's beca- it's, it seems to be you know a fight uh, not in the media so much as on Facebook. It's increasingly nasty. Ford plays right into that. And what it should be discouraging for people are people who did support, for example, Christine Elliott, in whom they they had a lot of hope. Uh, you know, she's further right than, than I'm comfortable with, but she seemed a reasonably solid, good politician. But they've all gone along. Yes. It's rather like the Republicans in the Senate in the States, and I'm not sure they have much of an alternative. But it seems to me when there truly was a progressive conservative party in this province and a liberal party and an NDP, there was at least some opportunity for dialogue within the party. And, and that seems now to be, frankly, to be lacking. Sylvia, if I can ask you, because of your your years of service, uh, am I horribly dating myself and saying that I'm missing debate? Yes. No, you're not dating you. Well, yeah, you are. I guess dating yourself. I think I think those of us who saw a better time, and it wasn't all that long ago, actually, in politics at right. all levels. Uh, you know, we are missing debate. We are missing debate. Well, and uh, we we used to have politicians from across uh, from across the aisle. You know. Chatting after yeah. after after leaving the house, uh, they might they might have a beverage together. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and and the level of animosity. Uh, I mean, the reflection the reflection of the animosity that we show in our day to day culture, particularly on online from the safety of our own computers, yes, is is being reflected in our politicians, uh, and and they're acting as a perfect mirror for yes. for, for what we're throwing up there, and uh, and that's scary. It means that issues like climate change uh, when it comes to uh, issues like uh, truth and reconciliation and conditions on reserves and you know all these things uh, well they, they don't stand a chance because the 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 politics of, of the personal have stripped any meaning from policy Tim and I can just add it doesn't matter what the file is and climate change is a good one everyone's looking for the score. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. the, the objective is not to actually come up with a coherent, cons- you know, consensus would be impossible, but, you know, a majority agreement. Um, everyone's looking for that one glitch, for that one little bit of policy they can find to scream loudly about. Climate change is the best example. You know, it doesn't matter what the current government does, and we can debate the merits of their climate change plan. But you know that opposition parties from the left and the right are going to find that one thing to disagree with, and that's all they're going to do. They're not going to participate in constructive dialogue. And listen, if the liberals in their opposition, they probably do the exact same thing. Right, Sean? In the spirit of nonpartisanship, I think we have to look at the issues in a much broader way. So right now we look at issues of climate change, I, I generally lean orange, as a lot of people would know. <laughs> really, but I understand that there are, there are certain sh- shortcomings from the party brass about what comes down federally on uh, climate change policy. What's missing there is in another party, in the Green Party. Now, if we were to take the bits and pieces that each lack, we've got a very cohesive and very quick and effective climate change policy that does not, in my opinion, exist in the other parties, uh, specifically the People's Party of Canada. <laughs> right.
our MPP, Dave Smith, did not get a cabinet seat in the latest shuffle. How's he doing in our riding? You know what? I'm going to tell a personal story here, and and you know during during the during the election last year, I, I got to be pretty good buddies with Dave, mm-hmm. and he's at the base level. Regardless of policy, I like Dave. Mm-hmm. We get along just fine, and I want that for the record because a lot of people don't think that. Right. But I really respect him and I really like him because he's worked pretty hard at yeah. what he's done. Right. And uh, he had he had an idea to to run for a party and he did very well. And congratulations to him. Last week, Curve Lake Council was sworn in. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that we've invited the public to come. We had the media come uh, for the first time ever being involved in, in something there. We had the media come and also the parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Energy, Mining, Northern Resources, Energy and uh, Indigenous Affairs. But it's not called Indigenous Affairs anymore anyways. But he came by. He gave me a tobacco offering, and that was a very sweet thing to do. And kudos to Dave for actually doing that. Okay. Um, as a parliamentary assistant, I believe he's held that portfolio before. I don't remember which minister he was under, but do you? Do you it was Parks. Parks, and 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 Parks are a big part of our part of here, and this area, this Peterborough Quarth bubble that we live in. There's a lot of parks. Right. Um, and I wish all the best to Dave for what he's doing and what he has done. He's done he's done okay on that. Okay. Sylvia. It came to my ears not very long ago that Mr. Smith, the Dave Smith, I remember, has said that he feels I'm out to get him. <laughs> no, well, I wrote two critical columns, and they both had to do with civility in politics, and they both had to do with his interaction with the medical officer of health in Peterborough. And I think his interactions on two occasions there were absolutely terrible. And they showed a lack of civility on his part. Now, having said that, I'm not out to get Mr. Smith. I wish him well because I wish the writing well. And and for what I understand, and I've only met him a couple of times, he he can be a very nice fellow. So first of all, I'd like to assure him I'm not out to get him. But I am there to watch him. That's part of my job. Yes, you're a journalist. Uh, I'm, yes, I am a journalist. Yes. And, and, but he, I can't, I'm trying to reconcile in my own mind the Dave Smith you were just talking about with the public Dave Smith that he's had on display. And also with what I understand is a lack of response frequently to uh, messages to his office, messages to himself. And I do know I had a friend who wrote him. A critical letter and didn't hear back should have had at least a recognition that the letter had arrived. But I, I think he has to, I don't think he know he has to learn the game. But I have to assure him I'm not out to get him, but I am there to watch him and I think that's part of the job of the media. Indeed. Lauren? I was just going to comment in terms of you know the, the Dave Smith, I guess, that you're seeing in these personal interactions versus the one who's out in the public and, and make the point that um, because of uh, where our politics have gotten to, um, I think that we cannot separate the person from the party. As much as there are folks who would like to do that, as much as there are, you know, there have been campaigns fought where, um, you know, you pull lightly ask that the leader not come to town uh, because you'd rather not have their face seen beside yours. Um, but the, I, I think the opportunity for that to happen is shrinking, that politicians are that much more tied to their party and to the leader. Right. So 
he's a great person in person. That's wonderful. He still is going to have to carry the baggage and the damage that this government is going to do. And we were talking about it earlier, being a painful four years, you know, for us to watch. Sure, I haven't yet been personally impacted by the level of cuts that have happened under this government. But there are people who are suffering today because of the decisions that are being made by this government. And it is going to be absolutely painful for so many people in this community. And regardless of how nice of a guy he might be in person, he cannot separate himself for that. Yes, and uh, the mic is just going over to Tim, and uh, I, I, uh, I'll choke if I don't spit this out, Lauren, in, in resp- partially in response to what you're saying. I am flummoxed that no one is saying the magical solution for the on- province of Ontario's fiscal situation is the two forbidden words, raise taxes. <laughs> Tim. Uh, yeah, or keep cap and trade, <laughs> which would have done it as well, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, just a quick uh, comment on Dave Smith, and, and you know, it's not just in this room. I, I, I've never met the man, but I have heard from other people that he's quite personable. I have a, a colleague at my work who's done coaching with him and says, I have real trouble reconciling this public profile that he puts out there with this man that I knew, uh, you know, working tournaments with him. Um, so what, whatever that is, but, you know, in you get into a group mentality, and I'm speaking out of my experience both as a teacher and many years as a bartender, that people fall into a group and start adopting group behavior. And I kind of read Dave's social media outbursts, which I, by the way, have been severely curtailed, as being a sort of that sneering disdain seems to me a symptom of what's actually going on in the Tory caucus. All right. Sean? I also think it's uh, it's important that I clarify that I've... I'm not unscathed from <laughs> Tory cuts yeah, yeah. in my community. We've sure. received quite a beating. And and I'll, I'll completely divest away from the federal government for a second and just focus in on the provincial government that we have received quite a beating when it comes to a complete removal of the Ministry of Indigenous Affairs in Ontario. Peterborough Kawartha... Peterborough as a city is surrounded by three very large reserves of the Michisagig Nation. And the fact that we're out of the table, we're off the table with the province at this point, and we have to start getting to a point where we have a massive economy in each of these communities that surrounds Peterborough, that interacts with Peterborough Kawartha, whether it comes to Lakefield, whether it comes to Port Hope, whether it comes to Bodge Cajun. There are many federal and provincial ridings all around. That's that's really important to recognize that we're we're not involved right now. Really. On I think on a fundamental level. Another thing to remember then this goes back to what this goes back to goes back to what Lauren was talking about is that we look at an individual and we look at a political party and when it comes to campaigns and elections and individuals who stand for party, the individual does not significantly factor into the electability of a party. It factors in you can talk to anybody about this. Less than 10% is the individual. And we have to come down to this person was elected for a party. I stood for election with a party. It was pretty close. I wear that on my lapel pretty good. But I didn't win. This person won because of a party. They are beholden to that party. Right. 
Uh, Sylvia and then Donald. Yeah, uh, very briefly. I think in recent elections in Ontario, in Peterborough, not so much in the last federal election, but certainly and in, in the United States to some degree, elections have been lost rather than won. Good point. In fact. Yeah. Donald. Uh, I, I just want to talk about that, just touch on that that dichotomy that we're talking about with Dave Smith, you know, Dave Smith the human being versus Dave, Dave Smith the party person. Um, and and I've brought up mirrors before, but if if Dave looks, the public Dave looks in the mirror, he's getting the Conservative Party right back. Uh, they they're 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 political through vindictiveness. There, there seems to be um, a joie de vie to their ruthlessness, and it, it, it's 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 not saying, hey, you know, these cuts need to happen because they're better for all of us. Uh, they, they, they are ruthless and take seemingly great amounts of joy in, uh, in the responses that they're getting to, to these cuts. And, uh, and that, that scares me. Uh, one last question about the uh, Ontario scene. And it's one I have spat out on uh, as a tweet. And I actually know the answer in terms of the human being. But the question, I think, still stands. Who exactly is managing communications for the Ford government? Now, I, I, it is an individual. There is a manager of communications. Do you for, want it, that name? Oh, I know that name. Larissa Walker. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, who is doing the strategy piece? But like, isn't ten, it's Corey Tanecki, isn't he? Isn't, or is he just the campaign? Because uh, he was he was Maroni, uh, Maroni. <laughs> he was Harper's communication guy and also um, Andrew of the ill fated uh, Sun Media or Sun News Network. Yeah. Right. But I know Tanecki, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, I think I am. Tanecki, yeah, yeah, is deeply involved in it as well, and he's got a string of communication failures on his resume. So maybe this makes sense. Okay, Lauren. And I actually think it will be interesting to watch with the departure of Dean French uh, to see just how much of an influence he was having on that strategic direction, was or was not, um, how much influence he was having in terms of reining in um, perhaps some of the um, uh, uh, ways that people would, would have behaved had he not been there. Will it get worse? Will it get better? I think that remains to be seen and probably we'll know the answer uh, when the legislature returns after the federal election. Uh, because while it may not be uh, a vacation, that was certainly a very purposeful uh, action to make sure that Mr. Ford and his cabinet and party were out of the news as much as humanly possible to assist Mr. Scheer. Over to Tim. I'm just going to add one thing. When it, when a party wins an election and becomes a government, you know, Lauren was touching earlier on the honeymoon phase, and that happens externally, you know, the commentators and pundits. But within the party itself, obviously there's a feeling of great exhilaration. I, I think, and those of who have run for election and, and successfully, I'm flanked by two of them right now, know that the best day of any term is the day you get elected. And it goes downhill from there quite often. You're certain the popularity <laughs> does. And so a lot of people get seduced to this idea that they are kings of the world and they can get away with anything. Maybe not anything, but they get this idea that they can, they can do that. And we saw that behavior from the Ford government. We actually saw the behavior at times from the Trudeau government. Some of the gaffes yeah. was because they got a little too cute and they figured that Trudeau's popularity could paper over okay. wincing kind of public appearances. And it's a cautionary tale to any future government. You know, once you've won, don't assume the adulation you're getting on election night is going to last very long. I right. knew better than to think I could get away with anything. <laughs> and I was right. Re-elected yes, several times. Sean. This, this, this ties exactly into what Sylvia just said. So the, 
Curve Lake election uh, results were delayed by a day because we did paper ballot and we waited a day. So I was elected. And I decided, oh, it's going to be a wonderful time and I'm going to invite some friends over and we're going to have a wonderful little fire in the backyard. And I had a great, great night. And... Um, I went to bed and I'm feeling so up on myself and I'm being, oh, gee whiz, we're going to get so much good stuff done. I'm so happy. I'm so good. And at 530 in the morning, my wife wakes me up and says, I think I'm going to have the babies. You need to drive. And so I'm, I'm, no, they're not here yet. This was a false labor. But uh, it was immediately, it's like, okay, it doesn't matter. Whatever happened, I have to deal with the reality of my life. Good for you. And this is exactly what this is. And, and luckily nothing was wrong. She just said, you know, one of those things. So I spent a good 15 hours in the hospital the day after being elected. <laughs> all right. Uh, now Hallway let's... healthcare, by the way. Oh, yeah, uh, all right. A... All right. Good to know. Now let's move on to our main event, the federal election smackdown. This campaign is turning into serious competition for the WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, Inc. So far, this campaign is turning out to be nasty and replete with fake fighting. According to Eric Grenier's poll tracker on the CBC site, which is on behind us, uh, national aggregated poll numbers showed the Conservatives ahead at 35.1%. The Liberals, that's percent of the popular vote. Liberals second at 29.8. The NDP third at 13.8. The Greens fourth at 11.6. And PPC at 3.4. This was on the 26th of June. Now, Grenier posted new numbers the morning of the second. And the Conservative lead uh, apparently is shrinking. The Conservatives are now at 35%, just down a a tenth of a percent. The Liberals jumped to 30.6. The NDP dropped to 32. And so on. And the PPC was at uh, 33.4. Yesterday, on the 3rd, he refreshed his numbers, and again, the trend is holding. Now the Conservatives are down to 34.9, the Liberals are up to 30.8, and the NDP at 13.3, Greens at 11.3, and so on. Conservatives are ahead everywhere west of the Manitoba border, Liberals are ahead everywhere to the east, albeit not much in Ontario and Atlantic Canada, although just recently the Ontario lead is now up to four points. So in some regions, the Greens are ahead of the NDP. What, if anything, do we make of these numbers? And in Ontario, does Shear have a uh, does Shear have a Ford problem? And do you agree with these polling numbers, or are polls like summer weather forecasts to be treated with extreme caution? Tim, I just want to speak to reading numbers for a second. <laughs> Um, oh, you're a math teacher. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> that, oh, I'm in trouble. That oh. when reading polls, and you touched on it there, you, you never pay attention to the snapshot, pay attention to the trends. And okay. I do like Eric Grenier's breakdown, because it's not just they show the, the underlying graphs that show the trends, but they also, if you get into the tables, show you the 52-week high, the 52-week low, they show you the highest and the lowest, and that's really where you want to look at it. And, you know, the polls definitely just with the last two months have certainly been much better news for the liberals and seem to be trending that way. However, also in a national election in Canada, the national number doesn't mean that much. It really comes down to how things break down regionally. And the rule of thumb is generally that the conservative vote is more efficient. I think things have now, been, what exactly does that mean? It mean, 
it, well, no, it's not just they show up. It means that whatever gross number there is of conservative voters are distributed in such a way to achieve minority where, say, liberal voters and NDP voters are more concentrated in urban ridings. Right. So their numbers are inflated. It's the same thing that happens between Democrats and Republicans in the United States. Uh, however, um, I don't know if that rule of thumb applies as clearly this time because we're seeing a couple move, moving dynamics right now. We're seeing the NDP in some real difficulty with the ND, with the Green Party challenging them. But we're also seeing, as usual, incredible shifting uh, sands in Quebec. And, you know, I think that is, if, if the Liberals have a chance to hang on to their government, it's going to happen in Quebec. It's also going to happen in the suburbs, and that is where Doug Ford is really hurting them. Donald? Uh, I was going to bring up Ford. Um Ford problem isn't just an Ontario problem. Ford's Ford's personality and and the his policies have really echoed across the country. And and, and Sheer has a major major Ford problem on his hands. I, th- I think right now it's a bit early to be looking at our poll numbers. Um, they're they're somewhat artificial. I think people that uh, are are showing green on polls right now probably won't show as green come election day because there's a safety when you're months and months away from uh, from an election and as, as much as climate change is a major issue once those once we get closer to an election and we start seeing uh, how realistic it is for a green party to come in and and do any significant work in the house of commons it's probably going to push a lot of those people away uh, unfortunately i don't think they're going to be pushed towards towards the ndp right now who are who are floundering in a way that uh, I think some people may have predicted, but caught me at, uh, in surprise as the severity. I think we sure. need we need to look at uh, provinces outside of Ontario at the moment, and and really we need to look at Quebec. Mm-hmm. And we need to look at Alberta and British Columbia. The coast of British Columbia is likely to go NDP green. The interior will go conservative as it traditionally does in their provincial elections. In Quebec right now, you could argue that there is a somewhat popular right-wing party who is kind of in the Bill Davis style running government. They're doing horrible things right. that, I, that must be said. The conservative government in Quebec is doing horrible things, but they're sovereigntist a little bit. They're, uh, they're, very, they're very mushy. And so I think that breeds a territory we're going to see a resurgence of the Bloc Québécois. Right. In Quebec, which we've not seen since before 2011, when Quebec went orange. Right. It's starting to pull back a little bit. I think that's that's completely reasonable to say. But that's not going to go conservative or liberal. That's going to go Bloc Bloc. Québécois. You remember through my entire childhood, Mm -hmm. more or less the official opposition in Canada was the Bloc Québécois. Does the shrinking French population allow for that? I don't think think you even need to bring demographics into it. Is that people that live in Quebec are going to support Quebec parties. Right. Okay, speaking about the yeah. breakdown, the breakdown of Quebec. Yes, the French demographics may be shrinking a little bit, but again, it's distributed among the ridings. Mm-hmm. And once you get off the island of Montreal, you know you're you're very, very much in majority French ridings. Now they break down by regions, and I'm going to hand the microphone off to Sylvia. We can talk for an hour about that. But. <laughs> no, I if I and it is far too early. I mean, it really is. We're in for a a hot, if not. We're in, we're in for a hot, if not uh, necessarily long summer. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> politics, you know, a day is a long time lately in politics. True. The Bill Davis government was not a terrible government in Ontario. I never nor, said that. Well, that's what I got from... <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm saying far that. Far be it for me to defend. Yeah, and was, far be it for me to defend. <laughs> it, it, it truly was. Da- da- Davis, Robarts, Frost, they were good, progressive, conservative, pragmatic uh, parties. If you dropped me 50 years ago, I would very likely be a progressive conservative. Well, and there's very little difference between the PCs, the Liberals, and the NDP, in fact, at one point. But if I was guessing right now, and uh, and it is as valid as any of the, or less valid than any of the polls, I would say we are probably headed for a minority government yes. of one or the other. And minority governments, so the uh, the Pearson governments, were among the most productive in, in, uh, in the 20th century, in fact. And it could well be the Greens who are holding the balance. Okay, which I think we, if we, you know, a lot of my thinking about the entire process is we are leaning towards a minority government, and it's going to be either blue or red. It could be either or, but it's who's going to hold the balance of power. Is it going to be twenty-four NDP seats, or is it going to be five green seats? And who's the most popular leader in the country right now? Elizabeth May. Elizabeth May. Uh, a point at which um, which has been pointed out a couple of times by Mr. Scheer. Uh, and since we're talking federal politics, I feel like I should make a disclosure here that, yes, yes in fact, I am the campaign manager for our Liberal candidate, Mary Monsef. I do not speak for her. I do not speak for the Liberal Party, and I'm here by myself, but there you go. Cards on the table. Um, but what has been an interesting dynamic um, as the Green numbers have gone up, actually, has been some boosting of the Greens by the Conservatives, um, uh. which has been picking up some notice across the country, mm-hmm. so um, Althea Raj was in town talking to some folks about the federal election, and she's been in other ridings, and she pointed out that uh, there seems to be a concerted effort um, of the Conservatives to boost um, some of the Green folks, which I think the NDP has benefited from um, in, in years past, because the Conservatives know that those votes would likely go, or might go Liberal instead, and so the more they can split the vote, the more they have a better chance of winning, so that'll be interesting to watch how that dynamic plays plays out. And as well, just back to Donald's point that, you know, the Green Party has polled higher um, previously, but when they get down to election day, that vote does tend to collapse a bit. So the question will be, will that happen this time or will they actually hold on to some of the numbers that they're seeing right now? I think it's important to note that uh, in the provincial election, we yeah. saw concerted Green Party efforts in uh, writings around Barrie, writings around Guelph area, which they won. Uh, I have personal connection to that one, as you may know. Um, but most of the Green Party came from liberals, conservatives. We saw that in, uh, I forget which Barrie area riding of it. Does anybody memorize uh, vote breakdown? Um, anyways, uh, there was a riding, I believe it's Barrie Innisfil, where the Green Party did very, very well there. They do very well in uh, in Prince Edward Island, as we saw. They've done very well in New Brunswick and British Columbia and also in southwestern Ontario. But we see that... Uh, demographic breakdown, that Green Party vote is going to come from conservatives, mm-hmm. to an extent blue liberals, mm-hmm. and also to orange Tories, if you will. Yeah. Right. Tim? By the way, I, I would love that scenario that Sylvia said. 
you know, the, the scenario where the liberals win or conservatives win minority government is held up by the uh, by the Green Party. Uh, one quick shout out to the Green Party. One thing that actually helped them quite a bit is uh, you know the few elected members they have have performed extremely well. Elizabeth May has done a fantastic job. Uh, she's one of the very few politicians out there in the national scene who doesn't always seem to be calculating how to speak for her party. You know, she looks at an issue and speaks about intelligence. I think there's an appetite for that. And and it's not a dictatorship. And it actually, I think we have to give some credit to the prime minister who does that quite often as well. Um, and then I'm not going to speak of the other leaders because they don't do that. <laughs> um, I just want to throw in one thing as it, as it goes around the room uh, about the election. I, I think like a lot of people right now, if you're going to put money on the table, it's going to be a minority election because, yes, Alberta's going full Tory. Quebec's going to elect a lot of liberals uh, this time uh, in Ontario as well. Uh, but if the election becomes a choice between Andrew Scheer and, P- and, and Justin Trudeau, <laughs> uh, the liberals will win. That's my prediction. Uh, Donald. Um, so uh, I've already pointed out that uh, that the green support in the polls right now is a bit of a bubble. It's, it's an early election thing. However, it doesn't need to stay that way. And I, I think that if the Conservatives, the Liberals, and the NDP do not offer up really comprehensive climate strategies, the, the votes are there for the Greens to steal. And and they may, it may not translate into into seats, uh, right. but it could wreak havoc on the election. I want to I want to go right back into into what our policy is, and I'm not talking about the Ontario. Policy policy. The Ontario NDP policy is amazing. On climate change, it's amazing. Talking about the federal party, it's pretty good. There's some holes in it, but it's still, really, within the three main parties in Canada, that is the best environment policy going. There's some infighting about fracking in British Columbia, but we've already come out and said, you know what, we're no longer subsidizing, we do not support any fracking. And it, sh- it should be expected that... that and it should that. be expected that we have to do this. You know, this is, it's it's regardless of the color of your party, really, someone has to come out and say, okay, this is enough. The Conservative Party has no plan, yes. and progressives do not trust the conser- uh, the liberal plan. Sorry, I get the two confused. But they don't trust the plan anymore. And that that was a little that was a little snide. I'm very sorry about that. But in reality, policy when it comes down to the climate change issue regardless of party has to be at the forefront. I'll give credit to the CAQ in Quebec, conservative government, pretty good climate change policy, pretty good democratic institutions policy. Terrible social services policy. Right. Sylvia. Uh, I know well, we are, I think, going to move into the role of the media in all we of this. We are indeed. Quite, well, I'd like to get there right now. Just, okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's get there. Sir. And it's an, Well, we can go back to the other. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not trying to dictate the direction. But it just occurred to me regarding, well, regarding the Green Party locally and what was happening at Checks. Mm-hmm. Checks kept saying... Long after the local Green Party candidate had been nominated, who is Brock Grills, that there were two nominated candidates. This was leading up, among other things, to the NDP nomination in Peterborough. There are two nominated candidates, Marion Monsef and Mike Skinner for the Conservatives. Must have been three or four broadcasts where Grills, or the Green Party, was not even mentioned. Yes. Now, that was corrected recently. But, you know, the media... Has to be very careful, really. And I, there's more to say about the media later. But locally, I found that a rather 
sure. distressing situation, now, frankly. If I could just uh, piggyback on, on Sylvia's point uh, about the campaign itself, and of course, including the media, how ugly will it get? Will uh, What have we seen on social media so far that uh, gives us hope that our better angels will prevail? Or on the contrary, uh, are the hounds of hate and crazy already off their leashes and not to be restrained? The malicious takedown of Justin Trudeau on social media has been quite devastating, and so far, some extent, effective. I hate to say this, because I miss thoughtful debate about policy options. While I'm not a fan of some of Justin Trudeau's decisions, such as electoral reform or TMX pipeline, I'd like to hear him debate issues like housing affordability, carbon tax. So far, there has been no opening for such a debate. (laughs) Will Canadians tire of personal insults and character smears? What do policy geeks do? Will we ever get substantial discussions on policies such as admissions reduction targets uh, to lower global warming, or will it all be high stick spearing and tripping right through the election day? Um, just briefly, we in, in, in Ontario we've we've just seen a provincial election where the winning the winning party did not have a platform. Uh, right. there, there, there was literally zero policy talked about during the election, uh, and. and I'm saying that's one of the directions it could go. I don't think it's going to be quite as dire as what happened with, with Ford's Conservatives in Ontario, uh, but but we talked about this earlier in the show. Discourse is, is not there. Um, debate is not there. Uh, and even the ability to just have a, a conversation uh, amongst uh, fellow politicians or amongst voters on, on different sides of, of issues is really, really... <laughs> I don't want to say dead, but but pretty close to it. Uh, debate is has got a very weak heart bait. Yeah, Tim. Yes, on social media, it's going to be very very ugly. Yeah. You know, I think we, that's a given, and it already is. And, and our political discourse is ugly. I, I I don't see any other way around it except, you know, social media entities live and die very quickly. I don't think Facebook will have anywhere near the influence it had in previous elections. I, I think Twitter is becoming more and more of its own bubble right now. You know, but I, I actually want to pick up on what Sylvia said about the sort of mainstream media. And there's, I, I read an article earlier today by, I think I have this name right, Rebecca Traster, a writer in The Cut, which I think is New York Magazine, New York Times, thecut.com. And it talks about the punditry class in the United States and their inability to actually see emerging candidates. Mm-hmm. And I think we can look on this in sort of a, an industrial level in terms of the media business right now. There really aren't a lot of jobs. And certainly no one, you wouldn't recommend a young person to get into media unless they did it because they loved it. There's no money in it. There are hardly any jobs. So those that have the jobs have been there a very, very long time. Um, and they've negotiated their place and their, their position. I mean, if you, if you look at the talking heads in Canadian media right now, uh, they tend to be kind of right of center. You, you do not hear voices, uh, from the margins at all, unless that margin happens to be some, well, no, but unless that margin happens to be some vaguely racist white person who we think, well, we gotta let this person talk, cause you gotta hear all voices. Um, so what happens, and I, I spoke about this in the, in the, municipal election as well. People had real trouble understanding the dietarian phenomenon because, again, the people, and there's very few reporters in this city, and they're very intelligent, thoughtful people, but Bennett looked like a mayor to them. Diane Tarion didn't. Now, there was different actually out there in, in, in the populace. And we see the same thing again and again and again. We see 
we see the propensity for the national media to grab onto social media memes and that ridiculous stuff with the Brazilian uh, prime minister, at, at which everyone swallowed the hook whole. And again, part of that is because everyone wants to be first. Everyone wants to get out there quickly. Yeah, the hot take. The hot okay, take, yeah. Sylvia. I um, I would question a bit about the local media in the last municipal election. Uh, you had David Goyette in a series of columns, mm-hmm. really going after his former boss, yes. Daryl Bennett. Yes. And I don't, and I think, and saying that in fact, Mayor Terry and Diane Terry did have the makings of a mayor. And uh, so I, I'm, I, I would, I would take issue. I would take issue with that. And but I really do think I am. I'm so distressed every time. I don't. I don't Twitter. I don't tweet or whatever one does. But I, but I am. On, <laughs> no, I am on Facebook. Right. And I get every time I. I can't believe the nastiness. Yes. And the and the stuff that people get away with on Facebook, yeah. which is clearly in many cases lies based on right. lies and falsehoods, and is accepted. By some as truth, and um, I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's changed our political landscape enormously. I can only assume the same is happening on Twitter. Okay, and just to, we only have a few minutes left, I just wanted to ask you, uh, which candidates, leaders, uh, and so on, are having good campaigns? Which need to call a timeout and regroup? The Conservatives have recycled their not-ready hashtag from 2015, uh, while uh, some non-Conservatives... not ready if he is already prime minister. It worked, it worked so well it's, it's, last time. It's, up the, it's out there, and others have uh, countered with hashtag weekandy. Is the green search for real? What does Jagmeet Singh have to do to get more media attention? And will Maxine Bernier's party, the PPC, be anything else other than a minor spoiler for the Conservatives? Only an etobicle. Okay. So I, I feel like uh, there's Both. enough there for the next show that we yes, want to yes, tackle. Yes. And I'll just add one, which is I can't believe we got through this entire show without talking about Dean Del Mastro uh, and his oh. uh, explosion on social media today. Uh, yes, what was that about? Yes. I, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I, I had I had some rebuttal. Well, well, Dean was upset about... Uh, well, Dean's just upset. Uh, but but he, uh, he, was, he kept on coming to his own rescue about as to, uh, as to why he was... Why he spent some time in jail. Oh he uh, he he stresses the fact that opinion. that he was set up, that he was framed, that uh, that the, the the judges were just ignoring, uh, that uh, election Canada well, completely lied. And on Twitter, you have what's called a ratio, and a, a ratio a ratio <laughs> is right. where if you have more comments. Than likes on any given post, it means that people are pretty much disagreeing with what you're doing, and and today Dean got ratioed hard. So he, right. he, he made some comments and then just got buried. I just need I just need thirty, I just need 30 seconds. Thirty seconds. R- r- ratioed, unfortunately, reminds me of uh, recycled, and I'm afraid this from Mr. Damastro. This is recycled. This has been our 11th program of 2019 and our fourth show of the summer season. Please join us in two weeks on. Th- 
Thursday, July 18th at 92.7. We'll be talking with healthcare professionals and mental health uh, counselors and other community representatives about the opioid crisis. Our panelists will be uh, will include Peggy Shaughnessy of White Path Consulting, Deputy Police Chief Tim Farquharson, and City Councilor Kemi Akapo. And on the first, Justin Million and other local poets will drop by to read their latest work. The summer season runs till August 15th when this politics panel returns. And if you miss a show uh, here on the radio, you can always download the show from the podcast the next day at pintsandpolitics.ptvopodcasters.ca. Any feedback, please comment on the podcast website I just mentioned or send me a note, BillTempleman uh, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until July 18th, we'll see you then. Bye-bye now.